Hello, welcome everybody to the next installment of the IFA podcast series. Today we are going to talk about novel fertilizers and I'm very happy to have two experts working in this field with us here today. We have Professor Michael McLaughlin, who is the Director of the Fertilizer Technology Research Center at the University of Adelaide in Australia. And then we have Dr. Ramesh Ralia, who is a General Manager on nanotechnology research at IFCO, the Indian Farmers Fertilizer Cooperative. So, Michael, in your opinion, what would be some key features or ideal features of a smarter fertilizer that we would like to have in the future? Thanks, Akim, and thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. Um, yeah, this is a question's got a lot of aspects to it, but uh, thinking about if you're a farmer and you want a product that is really tailoring its nutrient release to the demand of the crop which you're fertilizing. So obviously the goal in the end is to either improve yields or reduce costs, maintain yields at reduced cost. But to do that really, you need to develop a product which makes it easier for the farmer to add the nutrient. So takes out top dressing, for example, and releases nutrients at the rate at which a plant might need it. Yeah, this sounds a little bit like, okay, so we would like to embed more knowledge into the actual fertilizer. That's kind of what you're after there? Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we certainly have a lot of knowledge about the crop demand for nutrients, but where we're probably lacking is to develop the technologies that can have the nutrients released at exactly the same time, given different environmental conditions. Uh, and obviously, you want to minimize losses to the environment. So if you improve capture by the plant, you're going to minimize losses to the environment. And I think more recently, we see a change in society where we we want to see products that maintain or improve soil health. And we also want products that maintain or improve the nutritional density of foods. So while keeping that goal of improved farmer profits, productivity, and that's a yield cost ratio, we need to think about these other things that society expects from a a sustainable uh, fertilizer program, crop nutrition program. Can you give us some examples of uh, some of the exciting innovations that are being worked on? Well, probably one of the ones that's furthest away from us at the moment, but it's exciting in that their discovery of uh, signaling compounds from plant roots. The challenge there, I think, and, and the developments there are to try and develop uh, coatings for fertilizers that actually respond to these signaling compounds from plant roots because we really want the nutrient to sit in soil until the plant root comes in close proximity and knocks on the door, if you like, and opens the door for the nutrients to come out. So that would be quite exciting if that particular innovation comes off. Other innovations would be things which change the plant physiology to help capture more of the nutrients. So here it's looking at uh, biostimulants things that might change root architecture. Uh, so either root initiation, root hair initiation, uh, surface area of roots, because obviously the root surface area is important in, in capturing nutrients. Uh, we've been working with hydrogels to look at how those might actually be able to change the nutrient release patterns of current fertilizers. And not just as coatings, but incorporated. And I think the advantage with some of these materials is some of them are low cost already used in other industries. So, for example, hydrogel is widely used in the food industry. So they've been through all those approvals in terms of safety. 
I think there's some interesting developments in the mix of developing mixed mineral organic fertilizers that have got both fast and slow release nutrients where we want to sort of hedge our bets with nutrient release, where we, we need some nutrient release early for early crop growth, but we don't want it released all at once to be lost to the environment. And I think also there's some exciting developments with new engineered materials. So Ramesh is going to talk about nanomaterials, but there's also uh, materials developed for other industries like graphene, like metal organic frameworks, like layer double hydroxides, a lot of these new materials coming out of materials science have got potential for use in fertilizers and could give us new modes of action, improve physical quality, or improve nutrient retention. So uh, it's important that we keep the research going in all these and look at the opportunities for the future. That sounds really exciting. And it looks like uh, you know, maybe 10, 20 years from now, we might have a whole new generation of fertilizers that look quite different from the ones that we have been using so far. When do you think some of these uh, new things might become available? And what benefits would they have for farmers and consumers? Or also maybe the question, what are some of the barriers that still need to be overcome to make things work? With the fertilizer industry, it it tends to be an industry that moves large amounts of product at fairly low marginal returns. And therefore, initially to get rapid adoption of a technology, you really need something that's fairly low cost and high efficacy. In terms of low cost, I don't mean just the product cost. There has to be a low capital cost for altering manufacturing plants to include any new technology. So it's not just good soil science and good engineering. You need some very good economics in there to do the numbers to work out, yes, this is going to be a profitable product and it's not going to send the company bankrupt getting it into production. So if there's anything I've learned in the last 10 years, the economics are really important to consider early in the innovation piece. I think for some products, there's new products on the market already coming out with some of these new materials. And Ramesh will talk about some of the nano fertilizers used uh, in India. So again, it just depends on a company's appetite for risk, uh, their ability to use their capital quickly to produce the new product and to prove its efficacy in the field in a cost-effective way for the farmer. Yeah, no, well, we look forward to this, but now let's talk about nano uh, technology. Uh, this is something that has gotten a lot of people excited in recent years, not just in terms of fertilizers, but also for other uh, applications. Ramesh, can you tell us in very simple terms, uh, what are nanoparticles or what is nanotechnology and how might it be useful for crop nutrition? Uh, thank you, Mike. Uh, nice to speak with you. Uh, nanoparticles are the substance or structure having size in the range between 1 and 100 nanometer, at least at one dimension by definition. And these nanoparticles can be developed by two approaches. One is called like bottom-up synthesis and another is top-down. In bottom-up, we synthesize these materials through molecular state precursor solutions in which are like much smaller than one nanometer size we allow them to nucleate and develop into nanoparticles another is top down in which we use bulk materials of millimeter or centimeter or micrometer scale particles we break down into nanoscale dimensions 
when these materials are at nanoscale dimensions they have unique physicochemical properties optical properties chemical mechanical properties compared to their bulk counterpart agriculture and in particular agri inputs that required for desired growth and developments which require urgent innovation need as mentioned by mike to meet the food demand and have minimum impact on the environment because we know that currently used uh, fertilizers specifically or agrochemicals having lesser use efficiency so they are having heavy environmental footprints and nanotechnology has potential to address uh, the nexus of this food energy water or environment by providing solutions to these current challenges of Uh, mainly in areas like for example improving the use efficiency of agrochemicals such as fertilizers pesticides or herbicides uh, and having slow release controlled release or target delivery as mentioned by mike earlier and this will help uh, to the environment at larger extent another is developing nano sensors which can have predictive or real time analysis of soil and plant health with respect to nutrient availability and nutrient demands uh, like earlier mentioned that we can have some sort of a sensor as a coating agent which can recognize the plant molecules or plant signals and on in exchange plant nutrient can be released in the soil through the coating agents similarly challenges like agronomic fortifications without having genetic change or genetic makeup change uh, like increasing micronutrient availability in the nutrients in the grain and then like climate resilient crop system in engineered or vertical farming system or enhancing the self like by coating of certain engineered materials like graphene etc which are currently being practiced or yeah, in the research lab at least being tested well very interesting lots of uh, different possibilities there now your company ifco has a research center working on nanotechnology and uh, you have released recently a first nano fertilizer of such kind in india uh, can you tell us a little bit more of what that particular fertilizer is how it works and and what the field experience so far with it has been sure ifco had a trial launch of nanotechnology based three agri inputs men uh, one is on zinc another is on copper and one on nitrogen based fertilizer we call it like nano urea or ifco nano urea uh, our aim specifically i will talk about nano urea because it is now granted permission from government of india to uh, test at the farm level and use utilized at the farm level this product is mainly developed to address the concern of greenhouse gas emission or nitrate leaching or ammonia emissions from the use of granular urea and we know that the use efficiency of granular urea is very less so we developed this product and tested on the basis of multi location multiple crops and multiple seasons and we have involved various stakeholders such as research institutes universities ngos and farmers and we have tested parameters such as uh, plant growth development yield parameters environmental economic perspectives we tested these products from safety and toxicity perspective as well because these are very tiny and engineered particles both for the short term and long term and we have tested these products as per the national guideline india has a guideline to evaluate nano agri inputs and food products it is released by department of biotechnology government of india 
but we also followed other uh, guidelines uh, which is internationally recognized like US FDA and US EPA guidelines to test nanomaterials from safety toxicity perspective and also OECD guideline to test nanomaterials. As a test result, we found that the product is eco-friendly and it is safe at the recommended doses for flora and fauna that we found in toxicological studies. And importantly, it is very beneficial from the environmental and agricultural sustainability perspective when we talk about nitrogen-based emission into the environment. Uh, the trial observation related to efficacy recorded that the product has improved the crop yield and the nutritional quality when we compare to conventional granular urea application through broadcast. And interestingly here, nanotechnology offers that even when product used in very small volume um, by mass and it gives equal or better yield without affecting the soil and plant nutrient balance that uh, we found in large scale tiles. And nanoscale fertilizers with desired properties, when we delivered in a controlled and safe dose, it can contribute in the plant growth and yield promotion and this motivates us to find sustainable and safe solutions for target delivery of agrochemicals and find out some more alternatives for that to improve the use efficiency so that crop response to agrochemicals can be enhanced. The uptake, translocation, accumulation of these nanoscale materials depends on various factors such as uh, factors related to plant itself, for example, plant age, species, growth, environment and different agroclimatic setup. And these processes are also linked with physicochemical properties of nanomaterials, specifically like surface functionalization, synthesis approaches, stability, mode of delivery to the plants, etc. Well, Michael, many scientists in particular, I think, who work on plant nutrition are still quite skeptical about nanofertilizers or, or nanotechnology because it's still relatively little understood from a sort of really detailed uh, research level in terms of what's happening in the soils, in the plants, in the wider environment. So from your angle, what would be some of the, the major unknowns and also risks to worry about? Nanomaterials are of concern to regulatory authorities, mainly because they don't have, well, they're only developing frameworks now to classify these materials and work out what the potential hazards and risks of them are. As Ramesh says, the OECD has made uh, large steps in developing schemes to classify the potential risks of nanomaterials. So obviously, um, risks to the environment are off-target risks, so adverse effects on soil organisms or adverse effects on humans who are applying these nanomaterials, because obviously nanomaterials are going to have different transport across the skin and different transport across the membranes of the lung and nasal passages and mouth. So safety is probably one of the key things that regulatory authorities look at first with nanomaterials. In relation to the research that's published on, on soil and plant use of nanomaterials, the soil data would be sort of equivocal at this stage because it's actually quite difficult to keep nanomaterials as nanoform when you add them to soil. They tend to aggregate and become larger aggregates rather than individual nanoparticles. Uh, it's called heteroaggregation in soil science because the clays and soil actually promote the aggregation of the nanomaterial. So 
they don't last too long as a nanomaterial in soil. Where they're likely to last longer would be in a foliar application, where on the leaf surface, they probably could remain as a nanomaterial for much longer and have a different release characteristic to a, a soluble foliar application. The reviews that have been published on nanomaterials are sort of mixed. Some people find very good uh, reports. That tends to be more in in vitro type studies. Uh, other people in pot trials and field trials find not so good results. Or when I say good results, not significantly better than conventional fertilizers in glasshouse and field trials. Uh, in vitro and petri dish, you can often get effects which can't be reproduced when you move into the uh, glasshouse or into the field. I think the other barrier to adoption of not just nanomaterials, but a lot of these new materials like metal organic frameworks or graphene or these sorts of things, uh, LDHs, layered double hydroxides, is the cost of production of these. The, the cost of production needs to be quite low. And if there's any benefit, it's not a huge cost in terms of manufacturing. So often researchers don't consider the cost of manufacturing when they publish their research. And that's usually where a lot of new technologies actually fall down in that it's just not economic to consider changing the manufacturing process to produce these materials for a 15 or 20% benefit that's sometimes there and sometimes not there in the field. So I'd say from a scientific review point of view, the jury's still out with nanomaterials. Um, I don't think we should uh, dismiss them because I think there's some interesting mechanisms and efficiencies which can possibly be gained. But I probably wouldn't be as positive as Ramesh about the uh, the benefits of uh, nano at this stage, mainly because of the things I've just talked about, the costs and the efficacy. A lot more work to be done. That's very clear. Yeah. So, Michael, you alluded already, one of the issues is, of course, uh, that these types of more knowledge-intensive or knowledge-embedded products, if you wish, uh, besides having to demonstrate a robust uh, performance and environmental safety, also need to meet requirements of uh, ease of manufacturing and economics of scale to become viable fertilizers. In in a broader sense, what do you think uh, uh, is needed in terms of more innovation in this whole area? And how could governments, but also maybe industry, what could those do to incentivize the further development and wider use of these products in farming. Yeah, it's interesting if we look back at innovations in the fertilizer industry. And over the last 100 years, it's really been driven by ease and efficacy and cost. If we think about the major, major advancements, first of all, acidulation to produce superphosphates by Lowe's and Gilbert, where previously we were using animal manures and rock more insoluble sources, and the adoption of that was very rapid because the efficacy was proven and it was fairly easy for farmers to add very efficacious products at low cost. The next huge revolution was in the 1960s with uh, ammoniated phosphates. And again, science produced products which were easier for farmers to apply, more efficacious or equally efficacious to the current products and at very good cost. So major adoption of ammoniated phosphates across the world. I don't think we've seen a big shift in fertilizer innovation as big as those in the last 30 years. 
And hopefully there's one coming around the corner from one of us, but we just haven't seen that. And we're sort of nibbling at the edges. If you look at the last 20 to 30 years, fertilizer innovation has been driven to a large extent in some regions by environmental regulation. So if you think about the Common Agricultural Policy, the Water Framework Directive in Europe, the Nitrates Directive, forcing us to think more about losses to the environment. And by minimizing loss to the environment, obviously you improve capture by the soil plant system. So it makes agronomic sense as well. But to a certain extent in some countries, regulation has pushed us into innovating for better efficiency because the cost of producing a nutrient was quite low. So we could be quite free and easy with splashing it around. And we can't do that anymore. So that is driving innovation from the regulatory side. On the carrot end of innovation is enhancements by governments to really improve the adoption of enhanced efficiency fertilizers. So, for example, in US, the uh, Association of American Plant Food Control Officials have got now a classification scheme for enhanced efficiency fertilizers. And if you're on that list of enhanced efficiency, your products gain wider approval for use in particular you know, state fertilizer controls. So I think there is there's a there is a role for government in here. Uh, we obviously don't want the government to be regulating the industry into innovation all the time. Uh, and I hope we can do it by improving efficiency for farmers and reducing costs. Government can also support the research that is the starting phase for that innovation, though. And again, there's a very good example recently with the US EPA Next Gen Fertilizer Challenge, where there's a, uh, prizes for products which are based on uh, innovation in technology and proven agronomic responses uh, done in independent trials. So I think that's fantastic. And I think government's also got a, a role in supporting research through public-private collaborations because really that's where the rubber hits the road. We've got a lot of academic research done developing new concepts for fertilizers and new fertilizer technology. But we really need those having a, a real-life test by industry engineers at earlier stages and that only comes through the public-private collaboration where public research agencies uh, or even private research institutions combine with manufacturing entities so that we really combine that chemical engineering with the soil chemistry and plant nutrition skills uh, in the one place. And I think when you get that sort of interaction happening, then you start to see innovation that doesn't only hit a scientific journal, but it actually hits the soil. Thank you, Michael and Ramesh, for joining us here today. This has been a very interesting conversation, and I'm pretty sure this is a topic that we will regularly come back to to see how things develop, and hopefully more of these products uh, will play an even bigger role in future farming. Thank you, and see you at our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, and thank you, Asim.